Um, I uh, don't know how many of you have ever been, let's just move on to something silly for a moment. How many of you have ever been to LaserQuest? Anyone ever been to LaserQuest? You don't really see it around so much um, these days, but growing up, LaserQuest was the thing to do for your birthday party. If you wanted to have a good birthday party and all your friends would want to come, then you went to to, to LaserQuest. And um, all through kind of the 80s and the 90s and things. And for those of you who don't know what LaserQuest is, um, essentially you uh, you turn up and you get put, uh, you kind of put on this great big pack and get given this amazing gun and um, you get sent either in two teams or every man for themselves into this big dark arena full of kind of rooms and tunnels and uh, kind of neon colors everywhere. And um, you basically, it's uh, you try and shoot one another and see who's last man kind of standing. And uh, harmless fun, but brilliant as a boy kind of growing up. Sometimes, though, there would be these guys who would go when you were there. And you'd be there with your little kind of party group of kind of 10-year-olds. And then there would be these guys who were there who were like 15, 16, whatever it was, and took Laser Quest way too seriously. And so you'd be kind of running around with your friends, and then out of nowhere, you'd find yourself shot in the back. And you'd have no idea where it had come from, because these guys would know the best hiding places. And they would just be there kind of sniping people. And you would kind of be in this battle with no idea where your enemy was, or who they were, or where they were. And you'd just kind of end up running around, wasting energy, and never really taking ground, never really managing to, to kind of take those steps forwards for you or for your team. And you know, life can be like that sometimes, can't it? You know, there are challenges and difficulties, and we've had a kind of couple of prophetic words kind of speaking into what some of those are. There are battles that come along, and some of them we expect and we're prepared for. We see them coming, we know it's happening. But sometimes things come out of the blue and we've got no idea where it's come from. Sometimes we feel like we're in a battle against things in our own mind. And we've no idea what to do about it or how to deal with it. And we end up wasting energy running around trying to to escape from fear. And to escape from these different things that we battle with without ever really taking ground. You know, sometimes things that we expect happen, but then they blow up into these huge issues beyond anything that's rational. You know, sometimes it can be you're you're, you're there and your children just don't want to listen to you and you're getting frustrated because of it. And then somehow, in a matter of a few minutes, your thoughts jump from your frustration of the fact that children aren't listening to you, that actually you're really no good as a parent. Why have you got children anyway? Is my family really, am I useful for my family? What's the point in me being here? Should I just leave? And, And within the space of five minutes, your thoughts have spiraled in a completely irrational way. Somebody can make a comment about your hair And within a minute, you feel like no one in the room likes you. And it's irrational. It doesn't make any sense. Little things happen. Little thoughts get in there. And they escalate in a way that simply doesn't make sense. And we face this kind of thing in life all the time, don't we? And one of the key reasons is because we are in a battle with unseen forces that we can't see. 
We have an enemy who hides around the corner and snipes at us and we have no idea where those shots are coming from. And so today we're going to be uh, doing the last of the messages as we've been looking through the letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians with this series, Life in Color, as we've been unpacking how Paul wants to help us to open our eyes and to have a new perspective on who we are and our identity as children of God, on who we are as people who are forgiven and accepted and have great purpose. How Paul wants to open our eyes to who God is and the fact that he is seated on the throne and has the victory and all authority to open our eyes to the situation in the world and how we live out our faith in this world. But he finishes the letter telling us that while we are in this life, we are in a battle. It's not all easy. He wants us to understand the battle So that we don't end up wasting a lot of energy running around trying to escape from things. Running around trying to to fix things or to, to kind of comfort ourselves about things. All in the wrong way. He wants us to learn how to instead fight and stand our ground. So, this is what Paul writes in Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 12. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The first thing that Paul wants to help us to do in the battle that we face is to recognize our enemy. We need to understand that there is more going on than just what we see. That we face a battle with the unseen world of spiritual forces that are opposed to us. And this is something that can all sound a little bit weird and strange and out there Particularly in our culture where the kind of the default is that everything has to have a scientific explanation. Everything has to be able to be something that you can test and prove and, and see. And so we tend to dismiss the idea of spiritual forces as superstition. But as followers of Jesus, we need to wake up to the reality that there is a battle that we are in. And there is an opposition that we face. And if we are going to stand firm in this battle, then we need to recognize our enemy. And Paul calls our enemy the devil. You know, and this isn't some kind of cartoonish picture of a guy in a red suit and horns and a pitchfork that we kind of think of so often. The devil is real and the devil is nasty. He has schemes and plans against you. Picture someone who watches you looking for the weaknesses and the flaws in your personality. Looking for the way to press your buttons in your relationships to make explosions of anger. Scheming and plotting, how can I bring you down? He hates you. He hates your marriage. He hates your children. He hates the church. And he is looking for any opportunity that he can to bring you down. 
Now, if you want to get an insight into the enemy's schemes and the way that he works and the battle that we're in, a great book to, to read is The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Um, in the introduction to the book, he writes this. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. There are two errors, and I want you to picture them almost like two ditches that you can fall into. And we all naturally lean towards one ditch or the other. And as I talk about them, you'll know internally which one you lean to. You probably do already. You know, the first ditch is to have an unhealthy fascination with the spiritual realm. This is someone who is drawn towards exploring all sorts of different spiritual experiences that people talk about. And there's, there's, they don't really care what it is or, or, or where it's come from. If it's, if it's got this kind of spiritual edge to it, if there's a supernatural element, they want to know more about it. And they've just got this kind of draw towards it. This is someone who might maybe over-spiritualizes every situation that they face in life. And they blame the devil for every problem that they ever have. Maybe you spiritualize your, your finances. And you're rebuking the spirit of debt. Because God wants to bless you and for you to be prosperous when the reality is that you're being unwise with your money and you're spending what you don't have. And what you really need to do is to learn how to be a good steward and take responsibility for your own situation. Or it might be that you blame the devil for relational difficulties or for health problems that you're you're going through when the reality is that your body is responding to how twisted up you are inside with bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. And the hurt that you carry from what's been done to you in the past. And those things are affecting you physically in your health and they're overflowing from that to affect your relationships as you react to people out of that place of hurt and you push people away. You know, the spiritual realm is real. And we face a battle against an unseen enemy that is real. But we need to guard ourselves from falling into the ditch of a fascination with the spiritual forces that just kind of draws us in because we want to have all these experiences and guard ourselves from blaming the devil for everything that happens. The ditch of disbelief, though, I think is the one that's probably the most common in our culture and we're most, most of us are probably in danger of falling into. And this is the idea that the only thing that is, is real, the only thing that exists is what's physical and tangible that we can see and we can prove and we can test. Um, in a survey done in the UK fairly recently, um, they asked people uh, if they believed in a personal evil. Um, and only 18% of people across the UK said that they believed in a personal evil. And that statistic's low, but it doesn't shock me. What did is that when they specifically asked Christians, that percentage only rose to just under 25%. That means that over 75% of Christians 
Don't believe in the devil. And just as we need to avoid the ditch that leads us into a fascination with spiritual forces and spiritual powers and authorities, just as we need to avoid overestimating the devil's power and the role that he plays that can leave us feeling in fear or paralyzed or can can leave us blaming him for everything, so we need to avoid falling into the ditch of disbelief. Because there is a real spiritual battle that we are in. And you know, often I find that actually the, the natural and the spiritual are linked together. You know, the, things will happen in the natural. And what goes on then is that the devil latches onto something that happens in the natural in order to exacerbate it and in order to, to kind of blow it up and make the problem bigger than, than it should be and to drag us down. That's the kind of thing that when I was talking about before, that when you have an argument with your wife and that leads you to feeling like you need to walk out on your family, you, there's something has happened in the natural that is exacerbated as the devil gets in there to drag you down. You know, we have an enemy who is scheming and is plotting against us. The, one of the helpful things, though, is that while he's always looking for ways to push our buttons, he's pretty predictable in how he does it. So many of his strategies, when you boil them down, fall into one of two things, I think. Pride and deception. You know, the devil is the most proud being that's ever been created. And he's done such a good job of shaping our culture and shaping the way that we think that so often pride and being independent and a strong person who relies on themselves isn't seen as a bad thing. It's just seen as a good thing and we praise it and we aim for it and we think we should be there. We end up then as he pulls us toward pride with him whispering things and us ending up having thoughts and it can shape our mindset so that we think this, thinking things like, I don't need to listen to anyone else. I'm smart enough. I don't need to submit to or follow someone else. I can have authority and rule my own life. I don't need anyone else's help. I can stand on my own two feet. I can take care of myself. And if these are the kind of thoughts that you are familiar with and that you battle with, or maybe you just live with and accept, then be alert. Because the devil will, in every way, tempt you and test you in pride. And the devil is a liar. That's what the, the word devil literally means, deceiver. It's how he began the battle with humanity. It's how he began the battle with Adam and Eve when he said, did God really say? It's not going to do you any harm to eat from the tree of knowledge. Then you'll get to be like God. And he does the same with us. God's not really good. He doesn't have your best interests at heart. You can't really... Trust the Bible and what it says. You know, those bits were only relevant a couple of thousand years ago. They don't matter now. You know, you work so hard. You deserve this. Go on, indulge yourself. Go along with it. 
What's the worst that can happen? And you know what? God's got grace anyway. He'll just forgive you. And then he switches tack. How could you have done that? How could God love you now? You're going through what you're going through because God's angry with you. He's punishing you for what you did. If you were really a Christian, you wouldn't think that. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't act like that. The devil is a liar. And he will tempt you and he will accuse you day after day. And Paul says, wake up and realize that you are in a battle. And that you have an enemy who is scheming and plotting to bring you down. So don't live like like every day you're in peace and it's easy. And it's just you. There is an enemy. The good news is that Paul also teaches us how we can fight and how we can stand in the midst of the battle. And a stand in our battles, what's most important, I think, is to trust our king. You know, Paul writes, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's the starting point. You see, while Paul might spend a couple of verses wanting to wake us up and make us aware of the very real devil that is against us and the battle that we are in, he spent pretty much the whole of the rest of the letter to the Ephesians wanting to wake us up to realize how awesome God is and what it is he's done for us and the place that we have in him. That Jesus has won the victory and he is seated in heaven with power and authority over all things. And that in Jesus we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And that we enter into this battle from a place of victory. The end is certain. You know, sometimes when we face battles in life, when we face temptations and to do things that we know are wrong... I think we can often end up feeling like what we need to do as Christians is just kind of square up to that temptation and say, I'm stronger and by sheer willpower of my strength, I'm going to resist and I'm going to stand against it and I'm going to be okay. I'm going to live for Jesus. Best of intentions, but so foolish. One of the things that I think Paul wants us to get hold of all through Ephesians, is that the battle is the Lord's and the battle is won. And the way that we then fight our temptations is not that we try and square up to them and we be strong. It's that we simply look to Jesus knowing he's on the throne and he has the victory, that he is the king who we can trust. That he is strong. We are strong in the Lord and in his might, not in ours. And as we look to Jesus, as we recognize that we need him, as we bow the knee to him, as we put trust in our king, what's happening is we're humbling ourselves. And then the devil's tactic of pride is undone. And as we focus on Jesus and we declare what he says to be true, as we put our trust in his promises and who he says we are and what he says he's done and the victory that he has and what he will do for the future, then the enemy's strategy of lies is made clear to us. It's shown for what it really is. 
And as Paul goes on to, to talk about how we need to put on God's armor, I think he's simply really highlighting what it looks like for us to proactively choose to trust our king. How we can be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is what Paul goes on to write. He says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You see, we can stand in the battle because God provides for us everything that we need. And the things that Paul writes about here are all things that Paul is saying that through Jesus, through what God has done in Christ, he has already given us all of these different things. If you go back and look over the, the letter and what Paul's written to the Ephesians already, he's, he said, you're already declared to be righteous. You've got it. He says, you've already got salvation in Jesus. It's yours. He says, you've already got the, the, the peace of what it is to be in Christ and you're carriers of that good news to other people. Everything that he talks about, he says, are things that we've already been given. The truth of, of God's word is something that we, we have. And so if these are things that we already have and things that we need, what's Paul really saying here? Paul is saying that while God has given them to you, while these are yours in Christ, you still have a job to do. Your job is to put them on. Not only to receive these things, to believe these things, to accept these things, but to embrace them and to allow them to shape the way that you think and the way that you live. To put them into practice. For these things to shape the way that we see ourselves and we see God and we see the world. And it's as we allow that, as we put these things on, that we are protected in the midst of the battle. Protected from the schemes of the enemy to do with pride and deception. And one of the things that I think is so important when it comes to putting armor on is that you don't wait until you see the sword swinging towards you. You don't wait until you see the arrows flying overhead. By that point, it's too late. The arrow is going to hit you and it's going to do you harm and you're going to end up going through the painful process of having to dig out that arrowhead and deal with the lies of the enemy that have hurt you and go through a slow healing process. And that happens so often. You know, over the summer, I started to go out um, cycling with the boys. And, you know, one of the things that I make sure of every time before we go out cycling is that we're all wearing our helmets. Because I know if I wait until the point when one of the boys or I'm falling off my bike to grab the helmet and try and put it on, by that point, it's too late and I'm going to end up with a head injury. It's something that I needed to do in advance. You know, putting on armor is something that we do proactively, intentionally, in advance, every day. 
knowing that we are in a battle and the enemy could try and strike at any moment. And so, as we put on the armor of God, we are trusting in our king because we are clothing ourselves in everything that he has done for us. And we're making that choice to trust us in our king, to remind ourselves of what he's done, to put on the truth and allow it to shape our thinking every single day. Now, I don't have time to try and unpack all the different pieces of the armor. We would be here until tomorrow. And um, we all want lunch at some point. But I want to highlight one of them because I think it's key. And the one that I want to highlight is the belt of truth. Because that's what Paul highlights first. And the belt, while it's hidden away, I think is the most important piece of armor. Because it's what the soldier would put on first, and it's what everything else that they wore hung from. Without the belt, the rest of the armor would just fall off. If we want any chance of standing against the schemes of the enemy, we need to be committed to the truth of God. To fill ourselves with his truth through reading the Bible. It's as we grasp hold of the truth of who Jesus is and what it is that he's done, that we put in place the belt that everything else hangs from. It's because we know God's truth that we can be confident that we've been forgiven, that we've been washed clean, that we have salvation, that we've been declared to be right before him and we've got on that breastplate of righteousness, that we can be confident in his promises and we're stirred up in faith. Knowing God's truth guards us against the enemy's lies. It guards us from being deceived. It gives us a truth outside of ourselves that we can look to to determine what's true and what isn't, what's right and what's wrong. Because the trouble with deception is that when you're deceived, you have no idea because you're deceived. You believe that it's true. You think it's right. You think there's nothing wrong. And you will say that and you will argue that and you will defend that until you're blue in the face. See, the enemy loves it when we rely on how we feel and what we see in the natural. Because it gives him the opportunity to kind of twist that in our minds. To twist that in our minds to get us to, to think that things are right, that are wrong. To, to think that we're okay being proud and standing on our own. That just means that we're strong. He loves it when we rely on what we feel and what we see in the natural. We need a truth outside of ourselves. A truth which is a, an unchanging standard that we can look to and accept as our authority. We need to be reading the Bible and we need people around us who will point us back to God's truth again and again. Otherwise we are so vulnerable. And so one of the key ways that we can be active every day in putting on God's armor is by taking time to read God's word. Taking time to read the Bible and fill ourselves with God's truth. 
and being willing to, to do that with a humility that allows God's word to read us and to highlight to us where we've got it wrong, to highlight to us where we're trying to twist things to suit our own desires. Another thing that I think we can do to put on God's armor is to pray. To pray protection over ourselves, protection over our families, over us together as the church every single day. And to help you with this, I've got a, a prayer that I'm going to put up on the screen and I'd love for us to pray to, together in a moment. And, and maybe this will be a model that will help you as you think about how you can put this into action and pray this for yourself every day. But as we pray this, it's not just us sitting and, and reading words together. You know, as we pray this, let's let it be a, a statement of faith, a declaration of faith, an active prayer that we are believing as we do this, there is a spiritual change that is happening, that we are putting on God's armor and that things are shifting in the spiritual battle. So here's the prayer. It should pop on the screen behind me. Let's, uh, let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I put on the belt of truth around my waist. Help me, Lord to listen to and act on your truth alone and not be deceived by the devil's lies. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. Thank you that because of your death and resurrection, I am made right before God. Help me live my life in a way that honors you. I put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Lord, I trust you. And I am willing to go anywhere you ask or do anything you ask of me. I stand behind the shield of faith, secure in the knowledge of your goodness, love, and power. I place the helmet of salvation on my head. Thank you, Father, that you have saved me and I have hope, not only now, but for eternity. I take up the sword of the Spirit, Bring your word to my mind as I need it, for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to finish in a moment, and um, we'll share communion together. But before I do, I wanted to just briefly touch on two other keys for the battle. The fourth thing that we need to do is to take up our weapons. This is what Paul writes. Says, this is finishing off the last little bit and, um, and going into the next. It says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You know, in this spiritual battle, God doesn't just intend for us to be on the defensive. He gives us weapons to fight with as well. And one of those weapons is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And it's yet another reason why being filled with God's truth is so important. Because even the sword is reliant on it. Do you know, when you speak the Word of God out loud in worship or in prayer or as a statement of faith, it is absolutely devastating to the enemy. And he has no choice but to give ground to you. There is weight and authority in the word of God as you speak it out in faith. 
It's like a sword that cuts the enemy down. Now, if you were battling with fear at the moment, we were talking about fear and anxiety through the prophetic words earlier on. If you're battling with fear at the moment, then go to 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. And don't just read it and keep it in your head, but speak it out loud. I have not been given a spirit of timidity that makes me a slave again to fear but of power and love and a sound mind. You know, find a verse that speaks into your situation and speak it out loud. And it might be that you need to do that again and again because it's a battle. But as we put into practice, as we declare God's word, you are gaining victory and the enemy will give ground to you. He will be pushed back. The second weapon God gives us is prayer. Paul calls on us to pray at all times, in all occasions, in all places, for all people. You know, our prayers are powerful and effective. You know, but even as we pray, one of the things I was struck by in this, even as we pray, we're not to pray on our own. We're not to pray in that way where we're kind of squaring up to something, thinking that my prayers, they're going to do it. Paul says, pray in the Spirit. Even in our prayers, we are reliant and we need God's help. Even in our prayers, it's about Him and His might and His power, not ours. It's about how we trust our King. How we look to Jesus. And it's as we pray in the Spirit... Allowing him to guide us and show us how to pray and what to pray that it makes all the difference. And we might not be able to see what that difference is. We might not be able to see the difference that it makes. But because our battle is against unseen forces, we can be confident that as we pray in the Spirit, ground is being taken and change is being made. You know, one of the things that strikes me in these verses all throughout it, when it's talking about prayer, but right through what Paul says, is that if we are to stand in the battle, then we need to stand firm together. You know, throughout the passage, Paul isn't ever addressing people as individuals. He's addressing the church as a collective group. And when he talks about prayer, he he talks about the importance of praying for all believers, pray for one another, stand together. You know, we don't go into the battle. So often we, my image of this has been, and so often I think our image of this is, is that we dress ourselves up in the armor and we go out to face life on our own. We think we, in our mind, we picture an individual soldier. But we are not individual soldiers going out to battle. We are an army going out to war. We battle as an army together. If you try and stand on your own, as any soldier would find, if you try and stand on your own, then the devil is going to get hits in. And it's going to be hard. And there's going to be times where it's painful. Because we're not called to stand and fight on our own. We're called to stand firm together. We've got to have one another's backs. 
to stand with each other in the hard times, to encourage each other with the truth when the enemy is trying to drag us down, to pray for one another at all times. It's, it's one of the reasons why I think you know, Sundays are so wonderful, but it's one of the reasons why I think that, that the growth groups, the small groups that we have in the church are so important and so valuable. It's one of the reasons why the emails that we send out with prayer requests to pray for one another are so important and so valuable. It's one of the reasons why gathering together for, for deeper, where we have a chance not only to, to worship and spend time in God's presence and allow his truth to refresh us, but to stand with one another and pray for one another is so important and so valuable. Let me encourage you, if you're not involved in those things, if you're not in a growth group or a small group, if you're not signed up to the email progress, if you don't come along to, to, the, to the different things, and you're struggling, and you feel like life is a battle, one of the key things you can change is come and stand together. Get alongside people. Let other people hold you up and pray for you and you can do the same for them. We're going to come to to communion and, you know, this is a time when we do what we said at the beginning, when we trust our King. When we look to Jesus. And when we celebrate all that it is that he has, has done for us. But I'm just going to ask Andy to come first. Andy came and, and shared with me a, a word which he, he had um, yesterday. And he had no idea what I was going to be speaking on today. But I'm just going to ask Andy to come and share. Because I think with, with what it is we've been speaking about, it's God's got a message for somebody. Of a castle. And there was an emphasis on the people hiding behind the correlations. You know... There was a great battle going on, and you could see people were firing arrows, but they were hidden behind the crenellations. And over the next 24 hours, I kept praying on it and praying on it, and I felt the Lord saying that people need to come out to face the enemy, to face them head on, to be recognized, eye upon eye, know that they've got their armor on, know that they're going forward. Thanks, Andy. It's just... Well, there'll be confirmation to you if you're kind of wondering, how do I do with this? If you've been feeling like you've been in that place of hiding, to, that God is saying, now's the time to step out. Now's the time to trust him. Now's the time to, to take ground. And that you do that as you trust your king. You do that as you fill yourself with his truth, as you choose actively to put your armor on in advance as you begin to wield the truth of his word, as you begin to be active in prayer and as you say, I need other people around me, I can't do this on my own and we stand firm together. So as we come to communion, I want us to be part of how we put this into action because as we come to communion, we're trusting our king, we're trusting Jesus, we're trusting in what it is that he has done for us, in the victory that he has. You know, one of the great things that, that Paul writes uh, when he's talking about communion, he says that, that when we come in and we celebrate Jesus and we take the cup and the bread in this way, we are declaring the Lord's death. We are declaring the victory of Jesus. And who are we declaring it to? I think in part we're declaring it to one another to encourage each other, but we're declaring it to the spiritual forces in the unseen realm. As we come and we take communion, this is part of how we are active in the battle. And we are saying we trust our king. 
He is the one who has all power and it's by his might we will stand. It's by his might that we will take ground. And so I want to encourage you as you come to to communion today, come in an attitude where you are coming to Jesus, trusting your king with everything you're facing, with every battle which is going on, and declaring over it that he is king, that 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 he's got the victory, that he has what you need. And if you're here today and, uh, and you've never done that before and you don't, you've never put your trust in Jesus, let me invite you if, you, if God is stirring your heart today, then come to communion as your way of saying, Jesus, I want to trust you as king in my life. Even if that's for the first time. And if you want to do that for the first time, you're really welcome here. And uh, just grab me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you. Just say to me, I took communion for the first time today. Um, what does that really mean? What does it look like for me to now put that trust in Jesus into practice every day? And I'd love to chat with you and, and pray for you. If the guys could come up who are going to help me serve and the band could come, I'm just going to pray. And then uh, as you're ready, just come and, and take the cup, take the bread, celebrate Jesus and declare his victory. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that you saw the spiritual battle that was going on over our lives. You saw the need that we had. You saw the destination that it was going to be for us if the enemy had his way. That because of of his temptations and because of our own brokenness, that we were headed towards death and separation from you. And that in your love for us, you chose to take action, to go into battle, to do something about it. That you were willing to, to die in our place. To allow your body to be broken, your blood to be shed, so that the enemy's power would be defeated. So that we could not only be forgiven and washed clean and have a a hope in you, so we could not only be made right before God, but we could be seated with you in a place of victory, knowing that the enemy has no rights over us anymore. I said, Jesus, we want to praise you and we want to thank you and we come to you and look to you as we take communion today as we trust you as our king. Come and move amongst us in Jesus' name. Amen.